It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero. It's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you listen, whenever you're watching, I hope you're doing all right. I hope you had a great weekend and all that happy stuff. Uh, today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com or give my man a call, 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to the Baddest Man on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to the show. Just visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told. Hey, a couple of weeks ago we did a blast from the past on John L. Sullivan. And people regard him as the first major world-recognized sports figure. Well, I say nay-nay because the first world-recognized sports figure was my man, Tom Molino. Read about it. Get a copy of my book. Now, if you're looking to get a signed copy, just visit the website, billycboxing.com. Or if you're looking to get more than one, just drop me an email, billy at talking boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N. B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. Um, coming up a little bit later, my man Dax Khan will join us with his thoughts on the fights. And speaking of the fights, uh, we, will give you, we will give you all of the uh, results of the major fights, including uh, Mikey Garcia's uh, victory. Um, I got an update on uh, the uh, uh, possible showdown between heavyweights, uh, Anthony Joshua, and Deontay Wilder. Uh, I also have uh, some emails to read. I also have, you know, in the uh, in the Oscar Valdez versus Scott Quigg uh, title fight this past weekend, uh, Scott Quigg came in uh, overweight, uh, several pounds overweight, and it really created an issue. Um, not to prevent the fight or anything like that, but. It finally got people opening up their eyes of something that we've been talking about for a long time. You know, does coming in overweight is it is it a conditioning thing? Is it a uh, an issue where a fighter uh, you know just can't hit the, the weight target or or has a you know uh, inaccurate scale that he's testing himself on, or is it a tactic? Is it a planned tactic to come in overweight? 
um, especially in a situation where you know uh, that the uh, other fighter you're fighting isn't going to stop the, you know, uh, avoid fighting you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, but uh, but first, let's get the ball rolling with Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia improved to 38 and 0 with 30 knockouts and picked up his fourth, one, two, three, fourth. A world title in a different division, this time in the junior welterweight division, uh, when he dethroned IBF uh, world champion Sergi Lipinets, uh, who drops to 13 and 1. The fight took place in a rainy San Antonio, Texas outdoor coliseum, uh, which I thought was uh, kind of cool. That uh, every time you got the the, the uh, cameras with the lights. Uh, you'd see all that rain, and you know, uh, kudos to all the fans that uh, braved the, the conditions and and were there live. Uh, me personally, I didn't get a drop of water on me since I got to watch it from my you know living room. Um, but the way the judges saw it, uh, all in favor of Mikey Garcia: one sixteen, one eleven, one seventeen, one ten, twice. The way I saw this fight is the reason why I love Mikey Garcia. You know, uh, Lipidets was a, was a really good. Uh, uh, fighter there's no question about it and what I loved about his style is that he goes and gets it in other words this is a guy that that fights and uh, is not willing to exchange Uh, Mikey Garcia was forced to do the same thing which he does and one of the things I love about Mikey Garcia is if a fighter fight if a fighter hits him five times he hits his fight his opponent back eight ten times that's how you win decisions Uh, he did drop uh, Lipinets in this fight Uh, I thought it was a good performance. I got an email from uh, my man Coach who linked me to an article written that felt that Lipinets won. Felt that Lipinets won the fight. I, I, all I can say is what fight were they watching? Joining me right now to give me his thoughts on that fight was uh, Sal. is Sal Rocky Senecola. Good morning, Sal. <laughs> good morning, Bill. I'll tell you what. I even saw Lipinets' wife look like he, she knew that he lost the fight. She was a cutie. Hey, you know what? She was a cutie. I got to be honest. And and I, I'm looking at her when they put the camera on her the first time. And I'm like, oh, God, geez, what is she, 12? And all of a sudden they go, yeah, her. <laughs> they have it, three kids together. Story. I was like, oh, my God, I can't judge ages anymore. But what did you think of the fight? You know, I thought that it was a great test. Also, a debut for Mikey Garcia at the junior welterweight division. And I'll tell you what, this guy – He's just so sound, so fundamentally sound and solid and consistent. And uh, there were many times that Lipinets uh, offered to, to take the fight to, to Mikey and, and um, exchange some good shots. But uh, Mikey had an answer for most of everything that Lipinets came at him with. And that's why Mikey Garcia is such a special fighter. A great fighter, great fighter. And when he caught, you know, he took that right. Uh, I think uh, Lipinets came in with a right uppercut or so from a distance, and Mikey Garcia timed it. He's always in a position to look where he is going to have an opening or be a, be a counterpuncher or be aggressive. And, and you got to love Mikey Garcia for his, his sound tactic, his desire, and his conditioning. And, you know, these guys were both good good uh, warriors in this fight, and uh, Lipinets just uh, came up short, and uh, but a good effort. But Mikey Garcia, I, I just love to watch this guy fight. He's a great fighter. You know, um, I, he was connecting yeah. with that right hand. And, you know, the funny thing is the article that uh, Coach forwarded me, 
and I was reading it, it's saying uh, that he was trying to land his right all night and couldn't. I'm like, what fight was this guy watching? It's like, it was like, I don't know. I, I thought maybe it was a joke because everything he said, I, I thought the complete opposite. But this is what I love about Mikey Garcia. You know, he comes to fight and he fights. Um, you know, and like you just uh, alluded to, no disrespect to Sergey Libanets because I, I thought that he put on a great, uh, a great fight. And I think anybody else, uh, he he wins, kind of. I mean, that's not true. I mean, 140-pound weight class is, uh, I mean, Terrence Crawford is out of it now. I don't think he beats Crawford. But what I liked is that he kept coming forward, and he he, he was trying to stay in this fight from the, the, you know, beginning right through the end. Uh, But uh, but Mikey Garcia knows how to win on scorecards, too. A lot of times you'll see a fighter, um, you know, lose a round. Uh, or they'll dance around or, or something like that, and they'll go back to the corner. Then they're shocked when the scorecards are so close. But Mikey Garcia, you know, he, he's very proficient at knowing what's going on. So if an opponent happens to, you know, land three or four punches, you can bet your last dollar that Mikey Garcia will come back with twice as many just to make sure that he's still leading on the scorecards. Do you notice that with Garcia? You know what? Let me tell you, you pinpoint and hit it right on the head. I, I loved how you just described that because that's exactly, you know, Mikey Garcia is not only a, a great fighter, has a, shows defensive skills, shows offensive skills, but you can see he's a, a tactician. He knows where he is in the round, and he knows how to work around efficiently and effectively. No, I, I think, you know what, Mikey Garcia is one of my favorite fighters out there today. Yeah, there's, there's uh, uh, no question he's... Uh... A talented fighter. I, I do think this. Uh, you know, he is 30 years old. And, uh, you know, they're talking about him moving up to 147. Um, he weighed about 147 on fight night. And the way the weights bounce these days is if you make 147 on fight night, you're most likely fighting a guy about 155 at least so if Mikey Garcia filled out to 147 on fight night where he came in at 139, um, I can't see him being big enough to fight the 147. I can't see him coming in, uh, you know, 10 pounds heavier than he was on Saturday night to campaign in a welterweight division like people were alluding to. Uh, he did mention that he plans on going back down to uh, 135. Uh, I think it was. I think it sh- it proved that you know. He as much as is because he definitely has accuracy and 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 like oh, yeah. you said he you know he, he's a technician in there. Um, he times his opponents well. He he counter punches. Um, you know his his stance is, is technically sound. He, he delivers his punches with power. Uh, but I think in a hundred thirty five pound weight class, uh, most of those shots that landed on Lipinets would have dropped any 135-pounder. I mean, yes, he, he counted in that seventh round. That left hook uh, put Lipinets right on his butt. Uh, but it was more of a, I mean, Lipinets didn't seem really hurt after that. I mean, it, it was still a 10-8 round. And, uh, and Garcia knew that he wasn't hurt either because he didn't jump all over him. But I'm not so sure that that, uh, you know, that maybe his power has not, uh, went up uh, in the bigger weight classes. What do you think? I think you know. I think 140. I think his power will will continue. 
I do think that, uh, you know, like I borrow Clint Eastwood's all saying, a man's got to know his limitations. And, and you know, these guys that, that keep, you know, going up in white class, there's going to be a cap off. You know, there, there's got to be a certain point where it's no longer justifiable, as you suggested. You know, Mikey Garcia might be uh, uh, 147 pounds on fight night. And you can rest assured if that was a welterweight fight, yeah, the other guy you're going to be fighting is closer to 160 by fight night uh, or 157. So I think I think as junior welterweight, uh, Mikey will have a lot of success. Uh, but he he's a natural lightweight on that level, and and yeah, I think his power will will sustain and remain as a lightweight. I think he could 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 carry it up to 140 but you know when you get into another weight class like the 100 the, the famous 147 pound weight class i mean you're talking about guys like like remember sugar ray leonard at 147 coming down from 160 i mean these are bigger guys and i you know mikey garcia could could reign a long time lightweight and and uh, even junior welterweight i think he could have a lot of success with you know just uh... i don't want to see him going welterweight no, I, I, and and quite honestly, it almost sounded like he realizes that maybe the, even the junior welterweight uh, weight class might be a little too big for him, uh, considering, uh, you know, I mean, he didn't look smaller to me. No. But, uh, but, but you know, I, and, and granted, Lipidets is a tough guy. Um, he so, is. So, I, I don't know, some of those, but he clearly, Garcia was clearly landing some hard punch. I mean, this guy was throwing punches with, with uh, you know, like they used to say with Mike Tyson, with bad intentions. And uh, except for that seventh round, uh, Lipidets uh, didn't go anywhere. But he did bust him up a bit, that's for sure. Oh, he sure did. He absolutely did. Yeah, and that, and that seventh round, I'll tell you, that left hook was delivered perfectly. And, you know, I think Lipidets came from a little bit too far away. With, he tried a right uppercut, and bam, that, that left hook just, just caught him perfectly. Uh, whether he was a little off balance from throwing the uppercut or not, it doesn't matter. He went down, and it was a solid left hook by Mikey Garcia. Well, I'm impressed with Garcia. I love him. He's a pound-for-pound pound fighter, in my opinion. Uh, now 38-0 with 30 knockouts. We'll see where he goes. As far as Lipinitz is concerned, hey, 13-1 with 10 knockouts. This guy, uh, you know, a lot of times when we say this uh, on a Monday morning, and I think it's true with Lipinitz, uh, you know, his value did not diminish at all uh, for his performance. I, what I see is I saw a guy that just was, didn't have – the arsenal of skill that Mikey Garcia had in terms of the sweet science. But uh, for a guy that, that was going into this fight with 13 professional fights, uh, yes, you know, he, he had other, uh, um, you know, combat sports experience. But as far as uh, boxing is concerned, 13 pro fights, not that many amateur fights uh, by definition. Only about 40. Uh, yeah. Right. But, I mean, by definition, that's not a lot. I mean, I know Deontay yeah. didn't have no ways near that. But uh, but the truth of the matter is, is Lipinets I want to see again. And uh, I don't think his value diminished much. Do you? No, I, I do not. Especially, you know, you lose – to a guy in a caliber and uh, of a Mikey Garcia, I mean that, that almost you know it could almost be said to, to increase your value because it was a it was a great performance and effort on his stock on his side and in his defense. I mean he he was in the fight. Uh, I had the, I I had the score. I scored a one eighteen to one ten. Not saying that he was that much outclassed or outboxed, but. You know, there were some close rounds, but I, I just gave a lot to Mikey Garcia. 
And uh, I think that uh, Lipinets did show a great effort, and uh, I think his stock is is not going to be diminished from this loss. Uh, one other thing I want to point out about the fight is that, you know, the— you could say what you want about Mikey Garcia. I mean, Mikey Garcia, I think he's technically sound. I, I, he's a great ambassador for the sport. You know, he's always smiling. Uh, he's very serious. I, I look at him as a blue-collar fighter, even though, uh, you know, he seems a little diva-ish at times, especially lately, um, uh, you know, in terms of uh, waiting and picking and choosing his best opportunities, which, I, you know, yes, on one hand, I, you know, it's nerve-wracking, but on the other hand, I don't blame him. But the one thing I want to point out, Sal, is that his corner is so solid. I mean, it's calm, cool, and collective uh, in that corner uh, in between rounds. Uh, and, and you know, I, that has to go a long way. I, I, I wish a lot of other young fighters would watch and see how it is in the corner of Mikey Garcia in between rounds and see how you know productive that minute is, rather than and and how professional. I mean, the stool is there, the 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 water is there, the cup man is ready. You know, I mean, it's all, you know, it's robotic, and that's what you need. You need that sense of comfort, that that familiar team around you. You know, these guys, you know, they get to a point. Next thing you know, all they think they need a trainer for is to give them water, and 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 it's not true. You know, you see chaotic um, corners. Now, I love Buddy McGirt. I love Buddy McGirt. Yeah, to me, too. you know, uh, Buddy too. McGirt is one of the best trainers uh, out there. Um, but, uh, you know, he's kind of become this hired gun that they bring in. And there's always a language barrier. So, you know, Buddy McGirt's trying to tell his guy something, and now there's an interpreter. You know, it's like... It's like you hear when they're talking to, in, in Mikey Garcia's corner one time they're going you hear you hear uh, uh, his brother say jab you got to go jab you got to jab 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 you know he must have said jab 10 times and the interpreter goes he wants him to use his jab you know so I mean I mean yeah all right I mean we didn't have to hear him say jab 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 10 times but how many other times do they, you know, truncate what is being said? You know, and, and that's important, I think, uh, more for the fighter than the fan. What do you think? No, I think that's funny. Uh, it, it's a good case in point. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, you made a classic uh, observation because you could see that his his there was no chaos. There was no rhetoric. Everybody knew their role in, in uh, Mikey Garcia's corner and uh, no, no swinging of emotions this and that it was cool calm collected delivery uh no and that that goes a long way you know and while you were describing that corner all i could think back was poor mike tyson's corner the night that he lost uh, his 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 uh title to uh um oh gosh i just went blank <laughs> but you know what i mean this corner that night was was chaotic it was it was nothing so when it, when and that's when a fighter you know he says well we'll do this well we'll do that even though the fighter is the only one in the ring but I had a habit of saying that too we're gonna do this we're gonna do that because you all you feel when you have confidence in your corner your cut man your trainer uh, your second you know it, it it makes a difference it does you because you could fight you can go out there you know you're gonna be uh, either attended to if you have a cut a hematoma swollen anything. And uh, that you have the confidence in the corner that's going to be there for you. So you saw that with Mikey Garcia. And, 
and I, I, I look forward to seeing him and Mikey Garcia fight again. You know, I've always said, you hear the corner always going, we got to do this. We got to do that. We got to get him early. We got to do this. Then the fighter loses. He goes, well, he didn't do this. He didn't do that. All of a sudden, we goes to heat. But uh, anyway, hold that thought. We got some other fight results we're going to talk about. I got an update on uh, AJ and Deontay. I also got some other stuff. We got DaxCon coming at about 9 o'clock. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to The Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. And speaking of us, joining me right now is my man, Sal, Rocky Senecola. And Sal, a couple other fights I wanted to touch on. Um, on the uh, undercard of the Garcia fight, uh, I, I thought, I mean, it, it was a beatdown, really. Uh, Kyriel uh, Relika improved to 22-2 and at 19 knockouts uh, when he... Uh, uh, won a unanimous decision over Rancis Bartholomew, who drops uh, his first uh, loss of his career. He drops to 26-1 and one with 13 knockouts, 117-110, and two of the judges had it, 118-109. Uh, Bartholomew was deducted uh, a point for a low blow in the seventh round. He did land a couple of them. Uh, I don't know if you got to see this fight. I don't think you, you had a chance, but uh, Reliki, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Reliki, and uh, Kyrie Reliki uh, basically put on a, a clinic, just battered Bartholomew uh, around the ring. And Bartholomew, uh, you know, the Cuban fighter, uh, you know, the, the sweet science, blah, 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 you hear about the He could never set and throw any punches. Even his corner was frustrated with him. Uh, it was a, a great performance by Kyrie Reliki. Uh, did you see any clips or anything of that fight? No, I'm sorry. I did not see that fight. Well, check it out because it was a good one. I will. Uh, some other fights uh, I wanted to uh, mention real uh, quickly. Um, uh, we had uh, the one I know you watched at, in uh, Carson, California. Uh, WBO featherweight champ Oscar Valdez improved to 24-0 when he won a 12-round unanimous decision over Scott Quigg, uh, who drops at 34-2 and with a couple of draws. Now, Quigg didn't make weight. I think um, he ended up being uh, three pounds overweight, and it caused kind of a stir. But Valdez, you know, many half of his team said don't fight, but Valdez wanted to fight. So therefore, should Valdez had lose lost that fight, he wouldn't have retained his title. But Quig wouldn't have got it either. Uh, so give credit to Valdez for for continuing with the fight. He clearly was the smaller guy, and the one knock on Oscar Valdez that I can see is he runs out of gas. But did he show heart? I mean, uh, the fight was brutal, really, when you when you think about it, because it was uh, reported afterwards that Valdez had a broken jaw, even though they kept saying he didn't. Uh, the funny thing was is that was the first thing that came to my mind when they asked him, "Do you have a?" They they asked him in the corner, "Do you have a cut in your mouth?" He says, "No," and uh, the the corner guy, his his trainer says, "Keep your mouth closed," you know, like he was worried about him getting a broken jaw. Problem was, Sal. He had already had the broken jaw, and he went on to fight with that for quite some time. And, man, wow. 
I've never had a broken jaw, but I can only imagine what it feels like when an opponent, especially a much bigger opponent who can hit, lands a shot on that broken jaw. And there were many that Oscar Valdez took uh, after the uh, alleged broken jaw took place. What was your thoughts on the fight? Well, I thought it was a great fight, great display. And I'll tell you what, the fight with a broken jaw, I mean, it was it was touted and, and, and famed afterwards have how Muhammad Ali sustained a broken jaw, I think, with Kenny Norton. And, uh, you know, he continued to go through the fight. And same thing here. I mean, that's got to be painful. Thank God I never had one. But, uh, man, to think about that, it's just uh, it's just uh, incredible that, you you know, you suck it up. You do what you got to do to be in the fight and to be in the fight to win. And that's what uh, Oscar Valdez showed with the heart. And uh, Scott Quigg showed heart, too. It was a good fight, a war. And, uh, you know, the better man won that night. Uh, the way the judges scored it, 117-111 twice, 118-110, all in favor of uh, Valdez. I uh, can't argue with the scorecards, um, but uh, what a uh, interesting fight. And, um, you know, Freddie Roach now trains uh, Scott Quigg. He's saying, oh, it's, I'm, I'm shocked that he came in overweight, blah, blah, blah. But they were yeah. talking about... Um, and by the way, uh, Valdez uh, was rushed to the uh, hospital afterwards uh, to get his draw uh, attended to. But, um, you know, I, you, it starts to make you wonder about these weight issues. And they were talking about it during the broadcast. Are, are, are they, you know, missed weight points that a fighter, you know, is shooting for? He's trying to make weight. Does he miss them, the, the, the weight uh, does he undertrain, overtrain? Uh, did they have an inaccurate scale, or was it a tactic? Do they plan on coming in uh, overweight? I mean, think about it. You know, really, Scott Quigg was in a better position. I mean, what did they do? They find him some money, uh, but you know, he wasn't gonna. He, he gives up the opportunity of winning the title, but he had his eyes set. Should he have won this fight, he had his eyes set uh, on a rematch with Carl Frampton. You know, so you you can't help but wonder if it was planned. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, you know how I feel about that. I mean, there's not one point in time. If you sign a contract and you're supposed to come in at a fight at a certain weight class, there's no ifs, ands, and buts or excuses why you cannot make that weight. I mean, I, I hate to say it, Bill, and, and I used to carry a little medical scale with me that uh, was was balanced to to a professional medical scale. I mean, I had it in part of my gym bag. I would weigh myself all the time. And the thing is this: these guys should know what they're what they are doing. And you want to know something? I don't think we had this, this much problems when the same day weigh-ins. I, I don't know. But these guys coming in with, with the, a day before the fight, uh, not making weight. Maybe it is a strategy. I don't know. Because even after, if they don't make the weight initially, they're given a little time to, to come back to the scale and, and make weight. You know, uh, not, not, not all day, not all afternoon, but they do have enough time to lose a pound or so if they, if they, if they try. But the whole thing is, uh, it's inexcusable. You should not have an opportunity in any way, shape, or form to not make the mark and make the weight of the contract that you signed the fight at. Well, I'm going to talk about that a little later. There's a proposed uh, new uh, basic, um, you know, repercussions if you don't make weight. And and let me just say this. Oscar Valdez is the kind of fighter I, I, I love to watch. I mean, this guy comes and wants to take it to you. And, you know, he forces that same kind of fight out of his opponents. Uh, you know, you had said uh, about uh, uh, Progress, who we're going to talk about now, um, 
you know, this was a guy that said, thank God, basically, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, uh, paraphrase here. He basically said, hey, thank God Mayweather's out of the picture. Nobody's going to copy that boring-ass fight style, and now we're going to bring it to it. And when you watch guys like Oscar Valdez fight, uh, and, of course, uh, Regis Progra, um, you, uh, you can see uh, that it's so much more entertaining, and it's going to help bring more fans uh, not only watching, but buying tickets to see live. I mean, it is what it is. You can you can try to, you know, spin the safety end and all of that stuff as much as you want. But at the end of the day, it's entertainment and people want to see action-packed fights. They don't want to see Floyd Mayweather-style fights. They don't. I'm sorry. They don't. You know, you, it, all, all you got to do is say to yourself, just close your eyes. Think of a great flat fight that Floyd had, and you'll fall asleep because you won't be able. Your mind will just go to bed. But uh, uh, anyway, one other fight I wanted to mention uh, on the the undercards: Andy Ruiz, which is a heavyweight, uh, fought on the undercard. It was the first time he returned to the ring uh, after he fought um, uh, uh, Devin uh, Ra- uh, Vargas. I'm, I'm sorry, he did fight Devin Vargas. He had returned to the ring. Uh, over uh, from an injury or whatever. I, I don't know why he uh, was out. I think it was uh, a couple of different things. But Devin Vargas hit the canvas at 1 minute and 38 seconds of the first round. Uh, Andy Ruiz improves to 30-1 and one with 20 knockouts. He's a heavyweight that should be uh, uh, in the discussion uh, at this point. I, I've made fun of him in the past because he's a fat pig, and I still think he's a fat pig. But, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is, uh, you know, he's moving up. He's moving up the ladder. And Devin Vargas, listen, the question on Devin Vargas is, did he train? He, he's got a lot of responsibility, uh, wife, kids, et cetera, et cetera, and he's got a full-time job. And I've had him on cards before, and, uh, you know, the word on the curb was that, uh, you know, he did not really train. He came for a payday or whatever. Um, him getting stopped by Andy Ruiz tells me one of two things. Either he came for the payday or – Andy Ruiz is really improving. So either way, it uh, looked good for uh, Ruiz. Um, now, in a fight that uh, you were looking forward to, I knew uh, big time that you were. Uh, I know you've become a fan of Regis Progress. Uh, he improved to 21-0 and 0 with 18 knockouts and picked up the interim WBC uh, junior welterweight title. Uh, even though the WBC said they don't do interim titles anymore. Uh, but uh, it took place at the Deadwood Mountain Grand in Deadwood, South, uh, South Dakota. Every time I hear Deadwood, I think of that great. I, I loved that Western series on HBO, Deadwood. I, I, I loved it. I, I To this day, I don't know why they stopped it. Maybe because they killed everybody off. But uh, uh, <laughs> Deadwood. Pro, yeah, Progress, uh, progress uh, 21-0 with 18 knockouts, uh, destroyed Julius Ndongo. Uh, who dropped to 22 and two? Indongo had been a world champion, had never lost until he lost to Terence Crawford. Uh, but something wasn't right with him. I, you know, either Progress was that good, uh, or Indongo. Uh, I mean, he was tripping over his own feet. I, I, I didn't know what was the story there. To be honest with you, I, it was two minutes and 54 seconds of the second round. It was over. To me, it was over in the first round. What did you take by this fight, man? Yeah, I, I you know, it was funny because he didn't seem that steady. Like, his, his feet weren't on him. And he was clearly, uh, you know, trying to be the boxer or so and moving in and out. But but like you said, it looked a little shaky from the get-go. And, and um, you know, uh, progress, uh, progress was uh, – was definitely uh, coming at him and 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 doing things. I I I don't like how Progress keeps that right because he is a southpaw. How he keeps that right 
hand so low with the lead. I mean, I, I just hope uh, he he uh, he seems to have always been able to defend when a punch is coming at him. But but uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, I, I think Indago was uh, it was a little shaky to start, but. Uh, it was a clear fight that uh, you saw Progress uh, just take it to him and uh, was was a little more aggressive, a little more, uh, uh, much more authority with the punches, and uh, he took him out early. You know, Regis Progress. I, I think in order for him to progress, uh, progress. he's got to he's got to calm down with the seek and destroy. I think what we're seeing with him, and you make a great point with that uh, that lack of defense is that he's taken on this seek-and-destroy persona uh, when he beat uh, J uh, Diaz Jr. Uh, at a fight that I was ringside at at the Turning Stone. He was seek-and-destroy. He wasn't even a favorite in that, in that fight. Uh, and he was uh, you know, not even rated as high as Ndongo in this fight. But he came out to seek-and-destroy. One thing I want to mention real quick, and, and you can comment as soon as we come back from break, uh, is you know, I, I thought, and I was trying to give Ndongo the, the benefit of the doubt, but I thought that the body work that Regis Progress did just at the end of the first round, the one that kind of sent him in trouble, bothered him. If you notice, if you can recall, during the, you know, in between the, the first and second round in the corner, Ndongo seemed out of it. He seemed like something was really hurting him. And his, and his trainer's even going, you okay? You all right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, like like when you when you hurt yourself and, you know, and people saying, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. And you say to yourself, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, you're ready to cry. And, and uh, no, 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 I'm fine. Oh, Jesus, it's killing me. But uh, hold that thought. We'll be back uh, in, uh, I'd say, about two. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C, damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> The undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. It's Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And uh, we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today, and uh, I'm here with my man, uh, Sal Rocky Senecolo. We're talking about the fights that took place over the weekend. Dax Khan is scheduled to join us in about a half hour. And, um, you know, just before we went to break, I, I thought that, at least in my eyes, which did have a couple of scotches uh, in them when I was watching the fight, but, I, I, you know, I will admit this, Sal. Yes. When Indongo um, went to the corner, I, I, I thought that progress really hurt him to the body. And, you know, yeah. I, I saw him stumbling around like, you know, like a stork because that's kind of what he looks like uh, with those skinny little legs. He's nine feet tall. And he was stumbling around. But rightfully so. I mean, anytime I'm, I'm not a trainer. Never claimed to be. Never even acted like one after staying at a Holiday Inn Express. But the truth of the matter is, is when I see a tall fighter against a short, compact guy, I would want him to work the body. I, I just think the body is susceptible, especially when you see – 
you know, toothpick legs. And that's uh, the kind of build that Ndongo had. And Progress definitely worked the body. And I thought this kid, Ndongo, was in some serious pain in between the first and second round. You know, when they asked him, you know, you all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, he was having trouble breathing. He couldn't have been gassed after one round, Sal. So I, I don't yeah. know, man. I, I think he was already hurt. What what'd you think? Well, I think it's it's evident, and I, I think you point out a good thing. I mean, here it was. Uh, progress was was uh, um, landing some body shots, and I think maybe one or two of them had gotten through. And you know, it, it's it takes a lot out of you right away if you have the wind knocked out of you and or to any level, uh, and uh, it will definitely slow you down and keep you thinking and. You know, uh, it's like, oh, geez, now paralysis is analysis because you got to, yeah, well, I'm defense, I'm hurt a little bit, I'm going to recover, I got to sit down. I gotta, you know, so, you know, a lot of things will go through a fighter's mind when he's when he's first feeling vulnerable or hurt. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, um, yeah, I think the, the body attack uh, made it a short, short night uh, by that second round knockout, too. So, I mean, you know, progress just put it together early and uh, shut it down fast. Also on that card, a young uh, top 10 ranked uh, Ivan Baranchek uh, made quick work uh, out of a uh, experienced uh, fighter in uh, Peter Petrov. Uh, Baranchek improved to 17 and over 11 knockouts when he stopped uh, Petrov, who dropped to 38 and 6 with a couple of draws at 1 minute and 12 seconds of the sixth round. Um, I'm surprised it went six. I mean, to tell you the truth, Baranchek jumped all over this guy. And Peter Petrov is a quality fighter, but, you know, he's getting up there. You know, father time is undefeated. And <laughs> Peter Petrov is another good example of that. Here's a technically sound guy. Here's a guy that has a lot of good fighters under his belt that he's fought and faced. Uh, a guy that's been in these tournaments. You know, a, a, a guy, an experienced fighter. And he goes up, and for all intent purposes, uh, should have had a more... Uh, polished skill set than Ivan Baranchek, who's a young, come at you, rip you apart kind of a fighter. But youth prevails, and Baranchek uh, got to uh, 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 got to uh, Petrov quickly. My only question is, would it, could they only afford two uh, referees for that fight? I mean, Mark Nelson, who's one of the worst referees in boxing, uh, they ship him all the way out to Deadwood, and he does the back-to-back -back fights. I mean, I, I, I found that kind of strange. Uh, but uh, did you get a chance to see the the uh, Baranchek Petrov fight? Did you see Did you see that one? No, I'm sorry, I did not see that fight. Oh, oh I didn't hear. I didn't hear you. No, you, you, know what? you were shaking I, I, your I, head. You were shaking your head, and I'm like, uh, you got to speak there, buddy. You know, <laughs> what, you lost me. I lost you. Oh. I lost you. Went oh. in and out. Oh, oh. Um, uh, another fight that was on that. Uh, uh, card that I, I saw that uh, was kind of interesting was the uh, undefeated heavyweight uh, Junior Fa, who uh, remained undefeated, improved to fourteen and zero with eight knockouts uh, when he scored an eight round majority decision over Craig Lewis, who drops uh, to fourteen wins, two losses, and a draw. Uh, Craig Lewis was out of Detroit, Michigan, and um, the way the judges scored it: seventy eight, seventy four, seventy nine, seventy three, both in favor of Fa, and one judge had it even: seventy six, seventy six. Now, I think you could make an argument that that fight was even. I personally didn't score it, but watching the fight, Junior Fa came out very quickly and, um, you know, was, was doing very well against uh, Craig Lewis, but then totally ran out of gas. The problem was Craig Lewis ran out of gas, too. You know, I mean, I, you know, when you look at young fighters 
and I see them get tired. And now, granted, uh, this was an eight-round fight, and uh, but still, I, when I see young fighters get tired after the third or fourth round, I, I wonder why. I mean, it, how can that be? I mean, I know nerves could get you tired a little quicker or something like that, but is it strictly conditioning or is it just lack of experience in the ring? What do you think? You know, when you're fighting six or eight round fights and stuff, you're coming up and you're, you know, you 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 you're, you're trying to uh, make the grade to become a ten round fighter, and you know, I, it's it's uh it's 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 a lot of things, Bill. I think it's it's relative to the individual, but conditioning certainly has a lot to do with it. You know, there's a lot of fighters out there that that get it, that know how to condition themselves, that know their own body, and you know. A simple run every day is not going to get you there. You've got to put in the time in a gym. You've got to punch at intervals. You got to fight like you train, train like you fight. And and you know it's 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 a conditioning thing. You know you can box, you can box uh, and move around in a ring, but you have to be able to exert and do the combinations and then recover. And it's all training, all conditioning. And you have to sustain that level and keep in shape all the time and, and, and just fine-tune yourself when you're in camp to, to really uh, work it. But, you know, there's, there's three rounds you should not be tired. You should not be tired unless it might be just nerves and uh, uh, you lack a lack of confidence, lack of conditioning or, or whatever else. Some of it's psychological, but uh, the bottom line is a fighter should be able to sustain a level of intensity for the duration of the fight that he's trained for. You know, Sal, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that a lot, and we see a lot, and the one thing that we we all admit is that athletes today are bigger, stronger, better conditioned generally, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing that we, at least we believe, is that we, as society, have become weak. You know, we, we kid around about the participation trophies, uh, you know, I, I, my my observations with uh, Disney, uh, all these kids being pushed around, and, uh, you know, the observations at the bus stop, nobody walks to a bus stop anymore, um, all these things, and, and you know, I, we've become weak. Well, I think that a, a contributor to the fact that young fighters get gassed is the fact that they're not actually doing road work anymore. A lot of young fighters today are taking advantage of the technology with uh, different uh, uh, running machines, whether it be a, uh, a bike or, you know, the different bikes or, or the, uh, or, or the run, you know, the, uh, what do they call those things? The, um, you know, the, the, what do they call stair it? Stair stepper uh, or Not whatever. the stair step, just the regular run. Well, I, I'm going blank here. What the hell do they call those? You know, like. Yeah, a, I, I had a blank moment earlier. Too. Yeah, but <laughs> you, know what, you know what I'm talking about? A treadmill. Treadmill. Oh, okay. Treadmill. Jeez. Treadmill. You know, you, you, you see how much I use one of those. I'm a fat bastard. But, uh, you know, the, 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 and there's coach in there going this, treadmill. This, this but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is, and the treadmills of today, you know, they, they, you could set them to go multiple, uh, uh, inclines and change the inclines and all of this and 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 you know scientifically they say that it gives you a better workout than running outside but I don't think so and the reason why I don't think so is because when you're outside number one you're breathing some fresh air things change the humidity levels change on a daily basis you might be running the same path 
if you're running in the streets or if you're running in the woods or whatever, um, and you have to dodge a, uh, if you're running in the city, you might have to dodge a pothole or a bum that's sleeping on the corner or something. Or, or if you if you're running in the woods, uh, you know, you might have to dodge a, a branch that came down. And and that kind of stuff, you know, just moves your body around. It, it becomes more of a natural. Um, simulation of what you do in the ring and 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 i think a lot of young fighters are missing that sal well i think you you definitely make a good point i mean i could tell you how many trails i ran through the woods this and that and everything else and sometimes you you could trip you got to catch your balance so it all comes into play you know you you have different elements that you run in and i agree with you i think you know the the treadmill is fine if you're if you're uh doing it once in a while why not but the bottom line is you know, I, I was very fortunate. I had one of my dear friends who was one of the stellar na- nation, one of the nationals, uh, a stellar amateur fighter, Jerry Palmieri, who went on to a great career uh, and retired from the New York Giants as the head strength training coach. I remember sitting in Richie Giacchetti's restaurant, and he was outlining my running program for me because he was at this point already uh, uh, either in Jacksonville uh, with the Jaguars, or he was uh, at Oklahoma State with the college teams, and we were talking about running. And he was devising a plan for me to do intervals one day, to do uh, what we call a fart like the next, to do uh, a, a recovery run, to do sprints. And and it was great to put my body through this. And if you look at some of my fights online, I I, w- I could punch ten round uh, ten rounds bell to bell. It, it had another. I, like like it was one round, and the conditioning I attributed a lot to was that different changing up of the body's uh, ability to to know what a, a aerobic conditioning is, sustained level over a period of time, or anaerobic, which is bursts, spurts, and, and, and sprints, if you will. So you're oxygenating your blood, you're getting a different kind of workout in there, and and I felt. Running outside is the only place you could get all that in one thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you could sprint. You could do this. You could do a lot of things on treadmills. But no, for me, uh, running and changing up the pattern of your running uh, from sprints to intervals to just a recovery long distance, you know, it, it's, it's, it all accumulates to giving you the kind of aerobic and anaerobic conditioning you're going to need to fight with. That's no, it. No, I, I think uh... – I think it makes a difference, but hey, just some other things real quick. Uh, also on that card, uh, my man, Matt Remillard. I, I call him my man. I used to love watching him fight. He did do <clears throat> a few years uh, in the slammer. He's back. Uh, he won, so did Trey uh, Lippy Morrison, the heavyweight, uh, the son of uh, the late uh, uh, Tommy Morrison, and uh, Charles Conwell. Uh, all three of those guys uh, got took home victories. Uh, also, Ronnie Rios. Uh, who uh, was supposed to be uh, in a tune-up fight uh, or at least an easy win, uh, lost. He got stopped that one minute and 12 seconds of the sixth round uh, by Azat Honovician, uh, which uh, uh, took place uh, also on Friday. So uh, a big uh, a bump in the road for Ronnie Rios. Uh, and also... Uh, uh, Saul Juarez improved to 24 and 7 with a draw when he, in a sense, upset uh, Gilberto Parra, uh, who drops to uh, uh, 26 and 4 in a couple of upsets. Now, uh, speaking of upset, Deontay Wilder, he always gets me upset uh, when he, uh, you know, shoots off his mouth. And oh, he's at it again. He's like Mr. Magoo. 
And he's been, you know, uh, starting with a steady diet of, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I want to, I want to fight Joshua, blah, 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 blah. And listen, he just came off the best fight of his career. In my opinion, to date, the career-defining fight of Anthony Joshua's career. I, I loved the fight, okay? And I loved that he showed me so many things that I wanted to see. And um, I, I, I tell you, I think his mouth, as much as I hate it, as much as I hate him with the, the rhetoric that comes out of his stupid mouth, and, and, and he's not the smartest tool in the shed. He's really not. And the pounding of the chest and all of that. I think it's working. Uh, this past weekend, he declared war on Anthony Joshua. He says, uh, I declare war on Anthony Joshua. No more excuses. No more waiting. No more dodging me. It's time. It's time to see who's the best, uh, who's the baddest man on the planet. Uh, we, we're the two best heavyweights. It's time uh, to go to war. He says, there's no one left but him. Uh, Wilder claims that he wants to fight. Uh, beforehand, but I just destroyed Luis Ortiz, and he's way better than AJ. So, uh, you know, Wilder says that, and, you know, normally I wouldn't even listen, but uh, also, which <laughs> but was confirmed, but. <laughs> but also, which was confirmed uh, by ESPN is that uh, AJ's promoter, um, you know, Eddie Hearn, said that he wants to make Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua fight next. Uh, now, I don't know if I really believe this because all the while they've been saying that the plan was to have Deontay Wilder, I mean, I'm sorry, Anthony Joshua fight the winner of uh, Baby Miller and Johan Duapaz, which are fighting uh, at the Barclays Center, have him fight the winner of that fight at the Barclays Center, and then hopefully by December, November, December of this year, that they could have a two-fight deal in place with Deontay Wilder, home-and-home home fight. In other words, one in the States, one in the UK. Uh, I, I, listen, you know, the only thing, I, first of all, I don't think that Anthony Joshua needs to fight the winner of Johan Duapaz and Baby Miller. I say no, I'm I with Deontay Wilder on this one, boys and girls. If I'm team Anthony Joshua, make the fight. Make the two, the home-and-home home fight. Make the first one in the U.K., the second one at the Barclays Center. Anthony Joshua is just as popular here in the States. He does not have to fight Baby Miller. Baby Miller does not deserve a fight with either Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua. What's your thoughts, Sal? Rocky Senecola. Concur across the board. Let me tell you something. You have the fans of boxing calling for this fight. We've been calling for it for years. But this is the time to make that fight. And you know what? I believe Deontay Wilder wants this fight. I believe that Deontay Wilder has wanted this fight, whether it was his corner or what, that would make the 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 inability for it to come to fruition uh, earlier on. Okay, guess what? After this last performance we saw Deontay Wilder in, it's ripe. It's ripe. It's ready to go. And it, and I'll tell you what, Anthony Joshua just got to get past Joseph Parker, and there should not be another fight that either of these guys face as far as opponents other than each other by either the summer or 
or the or, or the fall. This fight has to take place with each of these fighters' next fight in mind. I, it's got to go. I gotta just, go. No, no excuse. I just think that what's going to happen is we are going to see Anthony Joshua come to the States and fight uh, somebody, not AJ. I mean, uh, not uh, Deontay. Then go back and fight Deontay and then come back to the States and fight Deontay again. That's what I think is going to happen. I think that we will eventually see um, Deontay Wilder face Anthony Joshua early 2019. Uh, an interesting uh, point, too, is that uh, Hearn won't... Uh, apparently, Deontay Wilder has two management uh, people. You know, one legal manager in Shelly Finkel and the other one who has no license to do anything in Al Heyman. Interesting to see that Eddie Hearn only wants to deal with Al Heyman and not Shelly Finkel, uh, which uh, I find uh, kind of puzzling. But uh, nonetheless, uh, let's keep our fingers crossed for that fight. Now, another fight that uh, is in the works uh, was, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered and scheduled uh, for uh, Cinco de Mayo, Triple G against uh, Canelo Alvarez in the rematch, but there's been a bump in the road because Canelo has tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs as the world waits to see what the ruling is going to be. Nevada State Athletic Commission's scrambling around. Vada, Wada, Dida, Buddha, WBC, they're all scrambling around, wondering what to do. So much money, so much money. I personally think Triple G shouldn't even fight Canelo. I think you should go after Billy Joe Saunders. Forget Canelo. You know, I, I, listen, we all want to see, uh, you know, uh, no cheaters. And I don't think anyone should get the, the special treatment. I don't care who the hell they are. I got sick and I threw up on a regular basis watching Floyd Mayweather get all the special treatment in Vegas. And finally, he's out of the picture. I hope I never see his face again. And now we got to deal with Canelo getting special treatment. Well, I have an email from my man, Mitch. He says, Billy C., man, I'm listening to your show right now. You gave me all kinds of goosebumps by reading my email. I got my Friday off to a great start. I'm at work now, juiced. I mean, pumped. He says, uh, about to listen to the rest of the show. You're right. With the illegal glove wraps and two failed tests, move on and fight Billy Joe Saunders to become the undisputed uh, champion, which is what Triple G always wanted to do until the Canelo money came uh, out of nowhere. He says, I don't blame him for going for the money, but I fear eight months off for a guy who likes to fight four times a year, along with his age and fighting for a kid with a new physique meaning Triple G, he says, I'd pass and fight Billy Joe Sa Saunders overseas where he might get more money as the B-side. Hear me out. Anthony Joshua's purse was 13 million pounds. Um, and for Parker, uh, AJ's purse is 13 million uh, pounds to fight Parker. That equates to 18, a little over 18 million U.S. So someone might say, ask and say, why is EJ, uh, AJ taking less money when he got 20 million U.S. to fight a guy like Carlos Takam? Well, the answer is, and you kept saying this for months, that fighters keep a asking Anthony Joshua for a bigger percentage. A bigger percentage of what is the question? Well, Parker is receiving 7 million pounds which is nine million, uh, almost ten million dollars, nine million seven hundred four thousand U.S. Think about what we're saying here. Parker, a man less people in the U.S. know than Deontay Wilder, is about to make ten million dollars. If he never fights again, he's set. So, in order to pay him ten million, 
Anthony Joshua has to play fair and make less than his $20 million. Uh, but once the other checks come in, the pay-per-view money, the gate, etc., etc., AJ will make over $20 million again. These numbers have been confirmed uh, by the UK's Sun paper, and he sent me a link. He says, uh, I, ha I say this for two reasons. One, to debunk any listener who emails you to say that AJ's past earnings were exaggerated on your show, uh, and how could he earn... Uh, 20 million for a Tacom fight when it's not even for a unification. And more importantly, number two, Triple G doesn't care whose turf he fights on. So if he goes to fight Billy Joe Saunders in, in his hometown and the UK fans come out, Triple G will make more over there than he can be in fighting the cash cow in Las Vegas. So you're right. Triple G doesn't need Canelo at this point. Go unify and make more money than he can here. According to CBS Sports, Triple G made $3 million, uh, and Canelo made, uh, what does he say here? Canelo, um, well, I have it right. He sent me, he sent me all of the, uh, um, the, uh, com the commission's uh, pay things. Uh, Canelo made $5 million for their last fight. Uh, Triple G made $3 million. Hey, just so you know the way the outrageous numbers go, Ho Ho Joseph Diaz Jr. made 200000 against his fight with Rafael Ramos, who made fifteen grand. Uh, Randy Caballero made fifty grand. Diego De La Hoya made eighty grand. And uh, the closest fight, really, was Ryan Blue Chip Martin made fifty grand against Francisco Rojo, who made twenty five. So, yeah, there's no doubt that you have favoritism uh, when it comes to paying, you know, the draws versus the B-side. But anyway, he says, uh, you tell me he can't fight Saunders and make more than $3 million, even if they go and fight at a 21,000-seat uh, arena, uh, he will make more uh, being the uh, B-side. He says, I'm with you, F. Canelo. Um, he makes some great points, Sal. I mean, if, if I'm Triple G at this point, I think I utilized the negativity surrounding uh, Canelo right now with the with the performance-enhancing drug positive test and uh, move on. I, why take the risk? And, and uh, you know, hey, I, I would have I, – the last thing I want to hear from Triple G if he loses to Canelo is an excuse. I, I say make a statement for the sport. No fighter is bigger than the sport, and Canelo certainly is. I don't care how many commercials he's on. If I'm, if I'm Triple G – I say forget it. I don't want to fight a cheetah and ruin. I mean, he will get his money's worth by having the masses label Canelo a cheater. He can't avoid it. I don't care what anybody says. He's a cheater. Well, he is a cheater. And and you know what? Like I said, he uh, did they go through a hand, uh, hair strand to find out? And even though Canelo doesn't have long hair, I mean, he can't. You can't go back six months. With no, him. It, hair, hair. You can go back up to one year. No, no, no! But you have to have the hair long enough to go back. If you, if if your hair is two inches, it, it, you know you, you grow you grow almost an inch of hair a month or or half inch a month or so. So if you only have a two inch hairline, you're going back four months. No, and that's so, not how it works. That's okay. not how it works, silly boy. No. It, it, you don't have to. So what are you saying? That you have to not get your hair cut for a buzz, year for it to work? No. Get no. shave your head. That's not, that's not how it works. Hey, listen. I, I'll tell you what. You made a good point. Uh, you could make the case in point that possibly, you know, we saw a juiced up Canelo Alvarez. I say possibly. When he fought and had the draw, in my mind, uh, that was a Triple G with victory. But against Triple G a couple months back. 
And, uh, you know, if, if Triple G wanted to put insult to injury there onto to Canelo Alvarez, say, hey, you know what? We don't know what the status was. Was he juicing when we fought the first fight? I don't want to take a chance of him slipping something and doing this the second fight. He he, 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 he proved wrong. I I, I always make my, my, uh, my, uh, my blood tests, everything else come out. I'm fine. So the bottom line is I don't want to fight a potential cheater or someone that's been labeled that. It, and it, here's what he says, because it hurts my credibility, too. I don't want to be associated with a cheater. So I'm going to go and fight Billy Joe Saunders and uh, retain and attain another belt if, if he can do that. And, and then walk away. Because yeah, walk then he away. would have, he would have you know, all the belts. He's an undefeated, unified world champion, and the middleweight division is all under his guise. And uh, you, you have a real solid ending to an illustrious career uh, that Triple G could have. And you know what? I'll tell you what. Billy Joe Saunders is not going to be a laid-out fight. No. And, would and be a like, fight. like we always say, Sal, you're only as good as – people are going to remember your last fight. It's going to haunt right. you forever. And, I, and I'm sure that Triple G isn't going to want to step in the ring and come out with an L uh, against Canelo – and then, yeah. you know, in the back of his mind, thinking Canelo got away with cheating. I, yeah, it won't exactly. sit well with him. It won't sit well with Triple yeah. G mentally, and it certainly won't sit well uh, when you look at uh, uh, the full career and when it's all said and done. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Dax Khan is scheduled to join us, and he'll give us his thoughts on the fights uh, from this weekend. So uh, don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And speaking of being with us, right now joining us uh, from... Uh, I don't know, man, if he's still buried in snow. I don't know what, but uh, my man uh, Dax Khan is going to give us his thoughts on the big fights uh, from this weekend. What's up, Dax? Good morning, everybody. How much snow do you you, have? Do you still have a bunch of snow on the ground or what? Oh, yeah, we still have a lot on the ground. Um, Yesterday was a warm day. Today, um, it's a bit chilly outside. We're supposed to be getting another storm, so see what happens. Yeah, tomorrow, I heard. Tomorrow and Wednesday. uh, Sal just oh, keeps boy. laughing, but it's it's it, this is how people go crazy. You know how when you say uh, you know uh, you're getting uh, what do they call it? Like uh, what do they call that winter? Sun effective uh, dislike is sad. Well, you go nu- you you go nuts. You know, you're looking out the window and you see a foot of snow, and all of a sudden you look up up in the sky and you see another foot falling. It's like you know it's depressing, man. It's like a bombardment. It's like relentless. It's a, you know what you're talking. About. All I can think back is uh, is uh, Jack uh, Nicholson in The Shining. I was, <laughs> I, I was thinking that myself. I was hey, I knew it. It's a good you thing I didn't take about... that job at that resort that you know was close for the winter, but uh, 
I'll tell you. Uh, All I remember is, put out your can, because here come the garbage, man. Scatman <laughs> Crothers, remember? Yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, some great fights this past weekend, uh, Dax. Uh, let's start with Fridays first. Uh, we were talking about the uh, Progress fight against Indongo. And, man, did he blow out Indongo or what? What's your thoughts? It was great. You know, we knew Progray is talented. Um, he now holds an uh, in interim trinket. You know, it was an impressive stoppage of Julius Ndongo. I don't want to detract from it, but uh, you stated yourself. Um, I was vocal about it on social media. A lot of people were. And Dongo didn't really look that best health-wise. Not saying he took a dive. But, you know, he was being hurt by jabs. Um, they were actually, you know, kind of forcing him backwards. They weren't overly hard. The only real hard punch that, that appeared hard anyway, of course, we're not taking these shots. But the only one that really appeared hard was that last one that dropped them to end the fight. Uh, you know, uh, program right now, he's feeling like Superman, and he should. Um, the 140-pound division is very tough, uh, you know, so... Uh, after his uh, last three wins, Progray has definitely made a statement. Um, kind of, you know, as he's saying, I'm the man to beat in this division. But, I, you know, I really don't think so. I hope he doesn't let his head, uh, you know, inflate itself too much. There's a lot of tough guys in that division. Jose Ramirez and Antonio Orozco are guys based in the States who hit just as hard. Um, Orozco has been in with and beaten better fighters. Um, Ramirez, you know, same thing outside of the uh, Orozco win. Josh Taylor, if... Um, Progray expects to have this WBC title fight. You know, Josh Taylor, the former Olympian from the UK, you know, he's the 140-pound uh, WBC silver champion. Um, he himself has become a knockout artist over his last few fights, uh, a lot like Progray has. You know, he had stopped Winston Campus, uh, Miguel Vasquez, O'Hara Davies. Superior boxing skills, and the UK being the high like this continuous talk of Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua, Regis Prograde would have to go over there and be the B-side. So that's definitely a uh, you know a fight to look forward to. Funny thing about Terrence Crawford this weekend, um, he kind of bashed all the announcers from all the different networks saying, now that I leave the division, all of a sudden it's a hotbed. And, and, you know, he found that funny. And, you know, it just kind of says... It enforces what I said on Friday. You know, Terrence Crawford, he was just so dominant that uh, nobody really gave him a chance, any, anybody else a chance at beating him. That's why it's become such a hotbed because pretty much everybody in that division, no matter who's there now, any of these new title holders, were just going to be Terrence Crawford opponents. Well, the I, I, will, I will agree with TC that uh, the announcing teams were so sickening. I mean, the Showtime group is all corporate. I mean, they make their guys sound like they, they're invincible. And then you flip over to ESPN, and that new guy is terrible. Uh, I, I, I'm just glad I have a mute button. But let's keep moving on with the fights only for uh, – we don't need to, to bash those guys. I, I, I could bash them all day. It just makes me sick. But Ivan Baranchak impressed me because I know you, I know you saw Peter Petrov uh, uh, ringside. I, I got to see him fight a couple of times, and, and he's no slouch fighter. And I know Baranchak is an exciting fighter, but – you know, I, I didn't think he was going to... I honestly... I got to be 100% honest. I didn't think he was going to dismantle Petrov in the manner in which he did. I mean, I was surprised that fight went six rounds. That could have been over in two. I mean, what'd you think? You know, I said on Friday that Petrov, you know, usually fails in these step-up fights. And we all agreed that, you know, Petrov is a solid fighter fundamentally. And there's only a knockout loss prior to the... Uh, Friday night, it was uh, Tamarcus Maidana again, a prime Maidana, who had 140 pounds, was, you know, a total different beast. You know, Baranchek, early in his career, you know, was a knockout machine, was coming out there and, you know, just looking to, you know, swinging for the fences. But, you know, he seemed a little bit more composed. 
Uh, you know, um, those were much lesser fighters than Petrov. Uh, you know, Petrov had his moments in the fight, but, you know, Baranchek, uh, he managed to not go and revert to his wild swinging ways. It, it was a good fight, even though Petrov is a more naturally smaller fighter. I think if Ivan Baranchek can remain composed like he did in Friday's fight against Petrov, even at those moments when Petrov had some success with Baranchek on the ropes, that Ivan Baranchek can definitely be a force in this division. You know, it's only time is only going to tell, but, you know, right now I think that Ivan Baranchek is definitely a guy to be looked at seriously. And Peter Petrov is at the tail end of his career. He He's, um, he's not a stepping stone. He's not he's not a journeyman. But, you know, 135 pounds is definitely where he's more suited. So it's interesting to see where Ivan Baranchek goes next and to watch his progression. No doubt. No doubt. Um, I, and I'm looking forward to that, to be honest with you. Um, Junior Fa, heavyweight, uh, also fought on that card. We got to see him. Um, he's got a lot of work to do. I mean, they, they were talking about putting him in. He's ready. Oh, he wants to fight this. one. I don't know about that. What do you think? Now, Junior Fa looked horrible. I think Junior Fa um, was a case of he came out there and he just thought he was going to blow Lewis out. And when there was a little bit of resistance on there, Junior Fa kind of got maybe not discouraged, but uh, I don't think he was ready for that type of resistance. Uh, Junior Fa... And I was stating this during the fight that I'd like to see him actually snap the jab and work behind it. He's a decent boxer. He had a fair amateur career. He did have a couple wins over Joseph Parker in the amateurs. I think if uh, Junior Fa uh, can work behind that jab and use his combinations a little bit more, he won't be gassed. You know, um, he wasn't tired as early as uh, Craig Lewis was, but Junior Fa did get tired. I know there was a lot of uh, holding and a lot of resting inside there, and also a lot of that could have had to have been, you know, maybe some nerves. You know, who knows? it? But it'd be interesting to see what happens with him next, but right now, Junior Fa is, you know, just, just you know, a prospect, a new starter. What more can you say about him? You know, it was definitely a C performance, but you know, he's an interesting guy, as are all the heavyweights right now. Um, okay, so now we got, uh, we're going to jump over to uh, uh, the Valdez uh, Quig fight. Um, you know, I, I love uh, Oscar Valdez uh, um, style. I, I think this kid uh, is going to go places. I, I do think he needs to work on his conditioning. He seems to run out of gas uh, halfway through a fight. He, he's done it in his last three fights, but this particular fight was a war. Uh, we find he, he fought with a broken jaw. Scott Quig came over three pounds. Uh, my question to Sal earlier was, you know, was it him just missing the mark? Uh, or was it a, uh, a, a, a planned, you know, tactical move? Uh, what was your thoughts in the fight? And if you thought that the uh, weight was a uh, mistake or tactical? No, I don't think it was tactical because obviously that automatically eliminated Scott Quake from winning the title. So that would just be foolish. Um, how that happened, who knows? Maybe um, he undertrained, maybe he overtrained. You know, hindsight is only twenty twenty. Scott Quake usually comes in on point, and usually, you know, he, he trains um, to the fullest. This is the first time that I think, in my memory anyway, that Scott Quigg has come in over. Um, as for Oscar Valdez, I agree. He looked, um, you know, he looked very good. I think that um, he showed a little bit more composure, as I was saying with Ivan Baranchek in this fight, than uh, he has in the past. He looked a little bit more uh, defensively responsible. Um, uh, the work rate of Valdez has always been the difference, and um, Valdez, the fact that he uh, dealt with that broken jaw and he was able to actually hurt Scott Quigg to the body, Mix up his attack. You know, I, I like this new version of Oscar Valdez. So, again, you know, he's a young guy, even though he's a champion, and he, um, he has, what, that was, what, his 24th or 25th win. You know, I think Oscar Valdez is still a work in progress, but another few fights, Oscar Valdez is definitely, you know, going to be one of the elite fighters of the sport. You know, Sal made a point 
about weight earlier, and he said, well, when he used to fight, uh, Sal, you said I used to you know, bring my scale with me. The one thing I will say about that is it doesn't matter what your scale says. Because, you know, and I used to tell, I used to tell fighters all the time, you know, A, you know, because a promotion, when a, a, a sanctioning body will have the exact scale on premises um, the day before the weigh-in, uh, most cases, or at least several hours before the weigh-in, so you can check. Um, what if yes. a, And that's the only scale that matters. Whether their scale is accurate or not, that's the scale that matters. Could it be that fighters are, are you know, relying too much on their own scales? Well, you know, if I could say, Bill, you know, uh, hopefully they'll be smart enough. And, you know, you can't go to, to CVS and buy a little uh, scale. And I, I'm sorry about plugging CVS, but... Uh, uh, I know. And, hey, you know what, Dax? Uh, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, we can't send you any more T-shirts or anything like that because Sal is spending all of the the, the revenue. No, so, no. so you I know, I, you can't go to a local pharmacy or department store. See, I didn't even say which department. <laughs> yeah, thank, thanks, Sal. Hey, thanks. And, I'm learning, Bill. I'm yeah. learning. And so, and you can't just you know step on it and assume. Okay, it says I'm 165 pounds. Okay, I got five pounds to lose to make middle. No. What I'm saying is you get that scale. It's got to be a fairly decent brand scale, but you balance it to a medical scale that's certified and balanced. Those scales, they have to be certified. They have to be balanced. They have to be approved. They go through regulations just like a, a, a fighter or somebody else will. It has to be a balanced scale, a true-to-weight scale. And so when you go to your uh, a physician's, or your friend or doctor that has a balanced certified scale, you could balance your own scale to that scale. And you could compensate. Like I have my bathroom scale upstairs. I have it under six pounds because that's the true weight of what I balance. I still do it to this day. So that scale is six pounds negative starting to be balanced when I step on a scale to be positive. Yeah, you know, well, when I six saying. pounds negative makes Sal feel better. Hey, you know, but, hey, uh, hey, anyway. Dax, hey, Dax. All, all I know is when I get on the scale, it says, "Come on, one of you guys got to get off." You know, but uh, <laughs> but but the, no, the the truth that the, the that truth of the matter, though, Sal. And all kidding aside, I don't care what kind of calibration you make a scale or whatever. At the end of the day, they go by the commission scale, and I'll tell you a God's to honest truth story. I was doing an event in the state of Georgia. It happened to have been in Georgia. And the promoter was such a whack job, all right? He never showed up. And and, and kudos to the commissioner at the time, who's now the commissioner in California. Um, he stuck around because he knew that the fighters had spent all that time preparing, et cetera, et cetera. And they weighed these guys on a sidewalk in the pouring rain, okay? The sidewalk was was tilted because you know it it had uh you know for rain one run off it, it it had it had you know it was it was tilted so that when the rain hit it, it would run off so that the the water wouldn't build up uh, in front of these buildings and they literally zeroed out an old style not a digital an old si style you know weight triple beam type scale uh on there and i'm looking at the commissioner and i'm going how how can this be accurate? I mean, these poor fighters, you know. And and he's going, well, you know, we zeroed it out. It's gonna have to work. And I was just like, oh man, you know. Uh, thankfully, nobody missed weight, but 
But could you imagine if you're doing like what Sal is suggesting, Dax, and you spend the money, you get a digital scale, you have a cal, you have a calibrated, you have it all done right, and then you step it on a scale, it's you know they got a rock level in it, and it's on a sidewalk, and it's I'm sorry, you didn't make weight. I mean, it's true though. You go by the commission scales. Trust me when I tell you, fellas. That's right. <laughs> anyway, um, you know the uh, the Bartholomew Relika fight, Sal. Uh, I mean, uh, Dax was uh, exciting. Uh, if you're a Relika fan, because Bartholomew, even his corner, I thought was going to start giving him shots in the corner. The guy did nothing. What was your thoughts? You know, the whole card, you know, just to make a note on matchmaking, you know, the combined uh, record of all the fighters in that card was 320 wins, 62 losses, four draws with 214 knockouts. So, you know, that was a quality card. And uh, the uh, the Cairo Relic, uh, you know, he came in, you know, a different fighter than we've seen in the last fight. You know, Relic, both his previous losses were, were disputable. Uh, you know, he, uh, Rancis Bartholomew, he started out with the jab. He thought he was going to use the ring. He thought he was going to... Um, more or less out cute relic but you know relic that constant pressure just really wore bartholomew down and um not only did was it constant pressure and volume punching but you know he mixed up his attack you know he, he went to the body he went upstairs so he gave rancis bartholomew no time uh to adjust he gave rancis bartholomew no time to uh, uh think about you know what's coming next so uh Cairo relic did a great job and you have to uh say to yourself you know what this kid if he had a little bit more power this might be the guy who could take over that division that's the only thing that i see in him that despite having uh 19 knockouts in his career I didn't see a, a huge puncher on Saturday night, but I definitely seen a very solid fighter who uh, used the entire ring. He used angles, he used footwork. So you know what? I thought it was a, a great uh, win. And uh, Rancis Bartholomew, remember this is his what his third or fourth division. I don't really think that he's a 140 pound fighter. I think he's a slick boxer. But maybe you know he needs to go back down to the division as well. Maybe something comes out later on. Of course, some always does. Oh, I hurt my hand. I stubbed my toe. Um, I used the wrong kind of gel in my hair. Who knows? But, you know, it was very a one-sided fight. You know, Rancid Bartholomew only had maybe two or three moments of success. And then um, in those last two rounds, remember, he started showboating for whatever reason. In my opinion, it was more or less that he was so embarrassed that he wanted to do something, at least make Relic have one mistake that he can land one nice, clean, highlight punch Knowing that, you know, I'm not going to knock this guy out, but at least to give somebody to say, wow, did you see that? Did you see that punch he just landed? At least something, you know, to give fans... You know, a thought to walk away other than, wow, man, that guy just really got schooled in there. You know, you know what I noticed uh, was that it seemed, and, and, and you know, sometimes these Cuban fighters, it, it, it seems that it happens a lot, but they're so technically sound uh, and their defense is so tight a lot of times, but their weakness, their kryptonite seems to be against guys who are relentless moving forward, throwing punches, and they don't care where they land type punches. And that's what uh, uh, Relika did. I, you know, and I thought it was there was one part that was kind of funny. Uh, uh, what's his name? Steve Farhood says, Relika's been landing punches everywhere, even on his hair, you know, which I thought was kind of funny because <laughs> because Bartholomew had that funky uh, eraser-style haircut. But uh, anyway, let's talk about the main fight. One thing I don't, didn't understand about the fight real quick, I had it a shutout 120-107 in favor of um, Relic, uh, you know, with, the extra, with that uh, point deduction in round seven. I personally did not see how uh, Alfredo Polanco and Cesar Ramos had it 118-109. 
and Rafael Ramos 117-110. Now, they gave it to the right guy, but I don't see how anybody gave uh, Bartholomew a single round. I agree. And and the, the scoring, I, I'm telling you, something has to be done uh, with the scoring. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Would give him a fighter every round if he wins every round. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I, you know, I think some of these judges feel, oh, I got it. That was a close round. I better give it to the guy that hasn't won a round yet. I, I think that that's what they do in the back of their head. It's it's time to remove that. I, I know Sal disagrees with me on this, but I think it's time to remove the judges from ringside. We The technology is good enough now where they can get different angles and they should be put in an area where they can't hear any kind of distraction in terms of people cheering when punches don't really land or or anything else, uh, you know, nods and winks from promoters. I, I don't want to see it. I want to see them in, in cones of silence in a back room somewhere, and, and I'll bet you the scores uh, come up better. But anyway, let's talk about the uh, I, what I call the main fight of the weekend, um, Mikey Garcia. Uh, top in uh, Sergi Lipinets uh, for uh, Lipinets title. Um, I was, imp- to be honest with you, Dax, I was impressed with Mikey Garcia. Uh, I don't think that this is the right weight class for him, but I thought that uh, he won the fight hands down. I thought that uh, Lipinets showed that he's a good fighter. I can't wait to see him again. Like Sal and I discussed earlier, I don't think his stock went down, but I actually saw people that felt that Lipinitz won the fight and said that Garcia wasn't landing punches, et cetera, et cetera. I, I saw Garcia landing lots of punches and just didn't have the pop to, to finish him off, although he busted him up uh, well. You went on a limb and picked Lipinitz to win the fight. How did you see it go? My, official, my unofficial score, I should say, was 15-114 from Mikey Garcia. Oh, so you even had it closer. I had it very close, you know. This was a solid fight from start to finish. Um, it exceeded expectations, I think, of just about anyone. You know, most people that I was looking at, you know, on social media, whether it was fans or um, other fighters, uh, promoters, however you say it, a lot of people were saying that Mikey Garcia was going to uh, score a knockout somewhere around the seventh and ninth round. And again, you're right. I went out on a limb and I said I picked Lipinets, uh, you know, due to the reasons, you know, past performances at 140 pounds of Garcia. And again, it showed here that he doesn't have the um, – that 140 pound power there's always the one judge that feels obligated to hand in that 117 111 or 118 110 scorecard uh saturday julie letterman and nelson vasquez both competent judges handed in the 117 110 uh take away the seventh round knockdown it would have been 117 111 and then the 116 111 from judge mark calloy which was a little bit closer but you know all for mikey garcia the slower work rate of sergey lipinets i believe hurts him you know he's a guy who doesn't waste a lot of punches he looks for more accurate shots which is you know um, as, as a fighter who's a uh, transitional fighter, so to speak, remember he came over from uh, uh, being a professional kickboxer and he's made you know a very uh, good transition, but I believe that that lack of, of uh, volume hurts him. You know, Lipinets had Garcia going backwards quite a bit and you know, regardless of what the announcers tried to say or regardless of what maybe Team Garcia would like to say, is that you know, Lipinets forced Mikey Garcia backwards. Remember, he also bloodied Mikey Garcia's nose up in the second round. You know, Lipinets, you know, he, he did a very good job. Uh, Mikey Garcia being the uh, the high skill fighter that he is, he was able to read uh, some of the bad habits of Lipinets, like leaning to one side continuously. Uh, the... uh, yeah, Ruslan Provokhanov has that type of skin 
and that bone structure that makes it look like he's taking worse of a beating than what he really is. You know, so his face was, you know, really swelling up. You know, Mikey Garcia, you know, more active, better footwork. Sergey Lipinets, I believe, he landed the harder shots, you know, despite that um, that knockdown by Mikey Garcia, where I believe Lipinets was a little bit off balance as much as uh, he was getting hit. He got up. He didn't seem to be hurt. I actually gave him the rest of that round. You know, so I had, like I said, 115-114 for Mikey Garcia. I gave him rounds 1, 2, 7, um, which was a 10-8 round. Then 10-11-12, I gave Lipinets 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, and 9. You know, I I don't think it was. You know, I mean, I don't think it was that close. And and I don't think that. You know, I I know that it it looked like he was pushing him back, but he didn't push him back far, Sal. I mean, he pushed him back. No. Uh, uh, you know, and then Mikey would have a tendency to go back like a step, and then plant his feet, and then he would become the aggressor. So I don't know. I listen. I gained a lot of respect for Sergey Lipinets. Uh, I think he could beat most fighters. I just think that Mikey Garcia is a special fighter. I really do. Now, how much he's got left of being a special fighter, that's another story. I certainly don't think that he should move up to 147 no. like they were suggesting. No. Um, I, I don't even know if he should stay in the 140-pound weight class, to be honest with you guys. No, no I, I don't. I, I don't think so. At all. You know, um, the, the the hot topic, you know, last couple of weeks, Bill Sal, of course, has been Canelo and, and, and his uh, – his failed testing, you guys were talking about that earlier. Um, you know, um, Louis Neary, um, the Bantamweight champ, WBC Bantamweight champion, you know, he was just banned by Japan for life. You know, on August uh, 23rd, eight days after uh, facing uh, Shinsuke Yamanaka and winning that WBC Bantamweight title by knockout, uh, Neary tested positive uh, for uh, Zopaterol. You know, it's a banned substance very similar to Clembuterol. The WBC and the Japanese Boxing Commission allowed that rematch to happen just to see, you know what, because uh, Yamanaka was at that time the long... Uh, Yamanaka got a rematch, and it was uh, a clean, no PEDs, and, you know, if we play out the same, which, you know, which I thought was fair. I believe that uh, Neary should have got a uh, um, suspension, but, you know what, they, they said, you know what, let's see how you can do in a, in a clean fight. Then what happened, you know, the fight on March 1st, Neary comes in overweight, you know, and he just totally disrespected the title. He totally disrespected the sport again, and now the um, – a lot of people are saying, you know, the Japanese Boxing Commission is being very harsh on him for suspending him for life. But, you know, in my opinion, I actually think that they did the right thing. And, you know, here is something to me that um, that goes along with the Canelo situation is uh, Louis Neary and his promoter, Xanifer Promotions, out of Mexico. Xanifer Promotions, uh, uh, Fernando Beltran, the CEO of Xanifer Promotions, not only does he support Canelo, he supported him early in his career. He was one of the most vocal backers for Canelo. Um, out of Triple G, out of Mexico for the first Triple G fight, but you know, um, Xanifer has worked with Golden Boy Promotions many times. Um, as recently as December 2017, when o uh, Ogawa was given that gift decision over Telvin Farmer, you know, July with the uh, Birch and Miura fights. You know, what what's going on here? You know, that's almost like a TMZ moment where you know it's like here you go. Yeah, people have like a, a close uh, association relation. You guys are known to do business together. Your top guy tests positive for uh, PEDs. Their top top guy tests positive for PEDs. Nobody has seen them in a restaurant eating together, as far as I know. No. Well, listen, th this whole PED thing is, is out of control. And the only way to curb it is to make a statement with a guy like Triple G. I, there should be yeah. no special, I mean, with uh, Canelo, there should be no special treatment 
uh, for Canelo. And, uh, you know, he, he tested positive. It's time to pay to Piper. I mean, you can't, now, you can't, you can't, you can't really say it any other way. But uh, now, was Japan harsh on what they did? No, they're not because they're making a statement. And 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 the thing is, is that you know, and Sal and I talked about this in the past. You know, by doing something like that, somebody has to initially take the hit. You know, and then everybody's going to think twice after that. Oh, geez, you know. But but here's the way around it. The problem with the sport of boxing, fellas, is that, okay, you're banned from fighting in Japan. Guess what? That doesn't mean you're banned from fighting in the U.S. or banned from fighting somewhere else. So there are loopholes. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, is I say yes, Dax, that you need to make a stand and be strict, go over the top, and make a statement that says to fighters, listen, if you fail... You lose, brother. So if you're not listening to your trainer or nutritionist or whoever's telling you to drink this or take this or take that, then it's your ass that's on the line. And there's no there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Now, what if every, at least one, one of the major sanctioning bodies, whether it be the WBC, the WBA, or WBO, said to that to everybody, they, they set that in stone. You're caught cheating one time, that's it. It's a lifetime ban. Or, you know, if all the uh, the commissions, whether or not it be state commissions, um, you know, or, you know, European commission or something like that, they said it, you know, something one time and you're banned from fighting for here. One of the money places where fighters can make the most money, that would be huge for the sport and that would definitely change things around. You know, for, for you know the the positive, just one place, you know, one major sanctioning body, one major organization saying that, you know, you're banned for life, no tolerance, zero tolerance. Um, and on top of that, you know, Gianna Garabelli, um, you know, from over in Italy, you know, she had said something about, you know, she also agreed to what Japan uh, did, and she supports she supports that, you know, especially at that championship level. A champion is caught cheating. What does that say? That's, you know, all these younger guys that idolize, want to be like them, follow their mold. You know what? If he's, if Sal's using PEDs, why shouldn't I use PEDs? If Bill's using them, why shouldn't I use them? You know, same thing, you know, with a lot of these younger fighters. You know, if, um, you know, Wilder is using them, not th not saying that he is, why shouldn't I use them? If AJ's using them, why shouldn't I use them? And so on. You know, it's almost like inviting them in there. Instead, what these powers should that B should be saying, you know what? He used him because he is the big man. He's the guy that represents the sport. I'm going to show you what happens. If he can go down for it, you can go down for it. Do you want to go down like him, or do you want to take his place and show him what could have been if he'd have done it the right way, and all of a sudden you become his idol? Well, that's my point. My point is you got to make a, a stand. you got to make a statement, and whoever is the guy that that statement is made with, so be it. You know, the worst part of this, and like you said, and we got to go, Dax, but like you said, you know, if all the commissions agree to it, well, the biggest joke of all is the WBC because the WBC incorporated, they're the ones that came out with the Clean Act. They look like the ones that were going to clean it up. They make fighters sign up for, for VADA testing. <clears throat> they do all of this, and they were the first ones the first ones to publicly show their support to Canelo after this. Even the WBA, which is the biggest joke of all the sanctioning bodies, I mean, really, they are. They're the ones that said, well, we're going we're gonna to sit back and see what, what happens after all the investigation. We're not going to make a statement on this yet. But the WBC already publicly gave their support to Canelo. Listen, Canelo needs to have some repercussions for this. Triple G does not need Canelo. This is his way of unifying the belts. Go fight Billy Joe Saunders. Make a statement. It'll help the sport. No fighter, 
No fighter is bigger than the sport, and it's time that the sport makes that statement. And Triple G versus Canelo, or that fight not happening, and exposing Canelo and using him as the poster child is a perfect opportunity for the sport. Wow. I agree. In the United States, there's very few stars as it is. Triple G versus Billy Joe Sanders over, Saunders over in the U.K. You know, pretty much would uh, be a slap in the face of Canelo and Golden Boy Promotions. And, you know, one last thing, Japan, because that is the hotbed for all fighters, 123 pounds and under, they, they did exactly what I said. They set that precedent. You know something? We're not taking it. You're 123 and under pound fighter. You want to be a star here? Understand, you're going to be a star here only if you fight clean. So I applaud them on their decision. Yep, I, I, me too. I, I think that they need to. I, you know, I, you got to do it. You can't care who the person is. They made special uh, arrangements for, for fighters that bring in big money. I won't say his name, but his initials are Floyd Mayweather. They made special arrangements for him. They're making special arrangements for Canelo. You can't do it. Why do you think no, re, no uh, results have been or no uh, decisions have been yet, made yet? Because of the amount of money that Canelo's bringing in or, or supposedly going to be bringing in. No, they need to make a statement. It has to happen my, now. My final thoughts on Canelo is just that um, he he has um, tested p- p- clean twice since that last uh, that dirty testing. Uh, Caleb Chuao and James DeGal, they have their rematch on April 7th. Nayo Inouye is making his Bantamweight debut against Jamie McDonald on May 25th. And Pacquiao, Lucas Matisse, Lucas Matisse are in the works for uh, June 24th. Yeah, but that's, there's a lot of discretion, uh, um, not discretion, there's uh, some disputes about that fight, so we'll have to keep and see. Dax, thanks for uh, stopping by. We'll catch you later in the week, my man. All right, everybody, enjoy the day. Sal, still waiting for the pie. <laughs> we'll get it to you, Dax. Take care. Yeah, that's that's what he tells everybody, Dax. But uh, in any event, no, I, I honestly think, listen, obviously to all the radio and television affiliates, we are not taking a break here. Uh, you, you figured that one out. We're six minutes over. We apologize. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, the truth of the matter, Sal, is that uh, they do, and I say they, meaning the powers that be in boxing, has to make a, a, a statement. If they pussyfoot around, and, and Dax just made it a, 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 a point that's ammunition uh, for Team Canelo, where they'll say, well, you know, they tested him twice since then, and he's tested clean. They tested twice. It's only been two weeks. It's not even full two weeks. You know, so I, I don't want to hear about that. You know, somebody made an interesting point to me. I don't know enough about performance-enhancing drugs, and I purposely don't want to know. I don't want to be into this uh, situation where I have to educate myself so much on something that is ever-changing on a daily basis. And, and in order to make you know, uh, statements about what this one does and what that one does, et cetera, et cetera, you have to be up on it. I don't have the time, all right? But someone pointed out to me, um, because you know I've learned a little bit about cycling in, cycling out, and everything, and somebody pointed out to me, that the advantage for Canelo to have taken this prior to officially starting a training camp for this fight would have been to help him with conditioning so that he comes to camp in better conditioned shape, meaning, uh, you know, maybe he can run 50 miles or whatever the case is with the help of a, a, a performance-enhancing drug. Now, that is still with him. It's not like he's going to lose that work that he's gained from the uh, help from the performance-enhancing drug. So even if he doesn't take any from this point on, he's already gained the benefit, which is still cheating, Sal. 
Well, sure it is. I mean, if you know you're ingesting something or you're taking something that's going to uh, not be legal and, and but help you or build muscle tissue, build endurance, uh, do whatever it can do, uh, and it's uh, not uh, not a, a legal substance of, uh, of the rules and laws of engagement with boxing, yeah, you should definitely have to have some repercussions and pay uh, dearly. Because what you're doing is, like you suggested, the boxing industry, the boxing game is almost, uh, if, if they don't do anything about this and somebody does this on purpose, is turning the cheek and they're, they're making concessions. They've got to, you made a good point, make an example and do this. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it, even though it's not what we would like to see, because we would love to see a Canelo rematch, but... What a better statement it would be to put him up, as you suggested, as a poster child. That this is why you don't use banned substance, because now Canelo Alvarez, Alvarez lost a multi-million-dollar fight and uh, a chance to to be great. Well, let me ask you this: uh, If you're Canelo Alvarez and you get caught and you get punished, um, and you're a young fighter looking up to to Canelo. Wouldn't you think twice? And, and 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 by the way, if you're Canelo, would you ever do it again? No. First of all, I you know I I don't know the reasoning, and that's why I said for Canelo, you know, unless it was some tainted beef, I I don't know. I just don't understand because, you know, Canelo looked like looks like he has enough God-given talent and gift and 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 uh, uh, body to to do what he can do naturally and to to think that you're you're going to gain something abnormally uh better or something uh by taking a, a substance is false confidence in my book where you're you're having to have something uh for, to give you the competitive edge that uh you normally would not have uh if you abide by the rules and regulations so that right there says there's a flaw in his confidence or his ability to think that, wow, my body and my mind is all I need and, and, and a blessing from God above to, to make sure that uh, I'm going to be at my best to do what I have to do to win. Uh, so, you know, he's not putting that confidence in if this is an intentional ingestion of, of, of an of a illegal substance. So with him not having it, even though he may have already gained the benefits of, of util, utilizing it or having it in the system, um, you know, it, it, it's it's an argument. And uh, that's why I'm saying that. It's just it's just it's a bad message to send out to 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 the youth. It's a bad message to send out uh, to the fans of, of boxing. So I, I don't know how they should deal with it. And I'm sure he's going to make every apology or, or every excuse. And uh, the tests that he can have is, are going to be all negative for here out. But, you know, he did use some kind of substance that got into his system. That's well, all. well, all I know is, you know, when my man Mitch sent me the, uh, this, the, the data sheet on the bicyclist, uh, who uh, had 50 picograms of the same stuff in his system. He was banned from competition. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Canelo Alvarez had hundreds of picograms that came up not once but twice. And the boxing is still trying to wonder, what should we do? What should we well, do? Look what you just said. Do you remember you want to talk about a cyclist? 
You want to talk about the 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 famed, celebrated, endorsed, riddled kind of athlete, Superman, superpower, in Lance Armstrong with the bicycle? And then when they found that there was a substance, after he won every phenomenal and broke every record, everything else, every endorsement, what did they do to him after? They totally banned him. He lost everything. And his name is no longer associated with the greatness that he achieved because they found there was some kind of substance that he was utilizing all along. If I'm incorrect, please correct me. But this is what I remember. I don't know. No. I, you, listen, not only that, but they took some of uh, – didn't they take they some the of – yeah, They took the medals back. They took everything back. They what took, I'm saying is, yeah, if I, if I was wrong in my statements, no, let me know. No. I, I, I think that's all I can remember back, that Lance Armstrong was a superhuman being as, as he was looked at uh, by the cycling sport for winning every every bike race that he entered. And it was just a, a phenomenal uh, and, uh, uh, athlete, a specimen. And you want to know and the truth? All, you, you want to know the truth? Until I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, while you're saying that, I'm going – Oh yeah, oh yeah. What was his name again? And then thank God you remembered his name because his name I already forgot. I already forgot the guy's name. Wow. That's how that's the price you pay that's when you when you come tumbling down. And and if you think about th- this is my point, Sal. If you were a guy like like Canelo Alvarez and you knew that you would risk that, you would think twice. About yes, trying yes, to get away with it. You say. know what I'm yes. saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. But uh, anyway, listen, tomorrow, tomorrow, we tomorrow. are going to talk about there was a proposal for an overweight punishment rule. We, we got into talking about the uh, steroids and stuff, but there's a proposal uh, for an overweight punishment rule that was uh, uh, publicized uh, the, other, the other day, uh, yesterday, I think. Um, and uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, so uh, don't forget to uh, to tune in. Uh, but uh, on this day, March 12th, in boxing history, in 1973, Kunaki Shibata wins a 15-round decision uh, over Ben Villaflore to win the WBA Junior Lightweight title, and that took place in Honolulu, Hawaii, on this day in 1973. On this day in 1929, Corporal Izzy Schwartz wins a 12-round decision over Frenchie Bellinger to retain his world flyweight title. It took place in Toronto, Canada. There's just the boxing names that there used to be just don't exist anymore. And and Corporal Izzy Schwartz against Frenchie Bellinger. I mean, you got to love that. You got to love that. I love that. I love that. And here's here's a guy that always comes up. When when the Floyd Mayweather fans start bragging about fifty and zero from Floyd, uh, my man Coach always puts everyone uh, back in their place uh, with this guy Jimmy Wilder because on this day, March twelfth in nineteen seventeen, Jimmy Wilder stops uh, George Clark in the fourth round to retain his world flyweight title and that took place in London. And I think Jimmy Wilder fought like a hundred fights before he lost his first fight. You know, we always say Julio Cesar Chavez fought 80 something before 80 his first loss you know yeah I, the only hey, listen the only guy that has a chance to to uh to to come close to breaking uh, uh Rocky Marciano's 50 uh or 49 win uh record in the heavyweight division currently right now Deontay Wilder he's at Deontay uh 40 Wilder. and oh so uh truthfully 10 more fights 
and he breaks the record. You can, you know, dissect it and beat up the, his level of opposition as much as you want. But that would be a true breaking Marciano's record. Nothing that Floyd did. But anyway, on this day, uh, March 12th in 1891, my man Coach in the chat room, he was born on this day. He was. <laughs> and on 1891. No. Uh, on this day in 1891, young Griffo retains his world featherweight title via a 20-round disqualification over George Powell during their scheduled 30-round contest wow. that took place at the Sydney Amateur Gymnastic Club in Sydney, Australia. And that took place on this day in 1891. Hey, boys and girls, that concludes our show for today. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.